2020. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to today's edition of AM Minnesota. I have a couple of uh, young ladies here in studio that are going to get us updated on what they do in the Rice County Attorney's Office. Melissa Evans is the Victim Witness Coordinator. Good morning, Melissa. Good morning, Gordy. Thanks for having me. And Wendy Murphy is the Chief Assistant Rice County Attorney. Morning, Gordon. Thank you for having us here yeah, today. Not a problem. Wow, she called me Gordon. Uh, well, you called me a young lady, so I. Yeah. Uh, well, that's quite deference. all right. <laughs> Only my mom called me Gordon. Okay, Gordy. Gordon is a classy name, and Gordy fits me better, I think. All right, Gordy. But that's okay. You know, you can be my mom for a half hour if you, okay. if you so desire. <laughs> I think I'm a lot older than you, but. But that's the way that goes. Anyway, Wendy, how long have you been with the Rice County Attorney's Office? I started in this position uh, February 6th of this year, so it's been a couple months. Previously, I worked in the Rice County Attorney's Office under Paul Bowmaster and a couple years under John Fossum. And then I moved to do municipal prosecution. So I did city prosecution for Faribault, Dundas, Northfield, so I've had a lot of opportunity to be here in Rice County working as a prosecutor. Sure. So the chief prosecutor, what, uh, as what the, does that position do? The chief assistant is a, a position that many county attorneys have. So you're just there basically kind of like their vice president. Um, you so effectuate, if, if Brian were to be gone for a day, you'd be in charge, that sort of thing? Yes, Brian is gone today, and I am in charge, and I'm going to try and not let the power go to my head today. Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so you just help the county attorney effectuate all of their their plans, their policies. You assist them in any way that you can, um, coordinate with other department heads, and then additionally, I do have a criminal caseload that I work on as well. What is the caseload like here in Rice County? Um, well, in at a county level, you're mostly dealing with felonies. Um, we do have down here in Rice County, we have a wide variety. Uh, we see a lot of diversity in the crimes that are committed. So we have a lot of person crimes, a lot of property crimes, drug crimes, weapons crimes. Um, so I think that just given the kind of everything that we have in Rice County, we see a lot of the same crimes that you would see in Hennepin or Ramsey County, just not as much. Well, Melissa, how long have you been in your position? Um, I came to the Rice County Attorney's Office uh, in September of 21. Um, and before that, I have been working for the um, judicial branch with the court system and on the self-help centers. So I've been here about a year and a half. So did you pursue this particular spot or did somebody say, hey, you'd be perfect for this spot? Um, this was kind of a goal um, through school and I had done some work with some different agencies and a guardian at Lightham program during college and law school. So it was kind of a goal and these positions don't come around very often so i was excited to kind of jump into the position not knowing your job obviously melissa i would think it would be so cool to help people it is it is very motivating for me and kind of an altruistic uh, thing to try to get back i i know there are so many struggles that 
victims go through with these cases. And I um, enjoy being able to be kind of a contact or a, a liaison, I guess, between and, and try to make sure that victims feel some sort of justice. Yeah, because I would guess in most instances, this is their first meeting with the court system, right? People, most people's knowledge of the court system is what they see on the television. Absolutely, yep, which is not very accurate at all. Um, cases definitely take longer than 45 minutes. <laughs> That's right. To solve. Um, we don't always have DNA or fingerprints, and I think that's a, that's a big thing that um, people are um, not used to when they're when they're going through our cases. Is that we don't always have those things, um, and that doesn't mean one thing or, or another. But you know, I think it's a, a big misconception. Now, on the other hand, you probably hear some really sad stories. Yes. Yep. Every day, every day. Mm -hmm. I think, not to interrupt Melissa. No, it's fine. But she paused. <clears throat> I think sometimes too, and Melissa might not give herself enough credit for this, but definitely people that, like Melissa, that work with victims directly like that, and to a certain extent, prosecutors as well, deal with a tremendous amount of vicarious trauma. Um, because while a victim has their own story, which isn't to be minimized at all, right. Melissa will hear 20 victim stories during the week. And a prosecutor will be reading them over and over and over again as we have to make sure that we're much, we, we have all the information that we need on a case. And there, it's very, we have to be very careful that we're also engaging in self-care. But I know Melissa spends a tremendous amount of time listening to victims and reaching out to victims and providing them the support and um, information that they need. And so, yes, she does hear a lot of sad stories. And then they get away, rock climb, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> do you do something special though to get your mind off it? Yep, um, I take a couple of workout classes. I take a bar class um, and an ULA class. So being able to work, uh, you know, like physical activity will yeah, help with that. So you then, have to have a good outlet, right? Yep, and then I've got a great support system. Our team is very supportive. And um, Wendy, I'm, I know I've told you um, privately, but I, we really appreciate you coming in and your um, wow, support that Wendy. you bring. I got, we got to get her out the door here. We don't want her head to get too bad. <laughs> oh, that's right. She is trying to control her ego I today. <laughs> She's in charge, remember? I know. Right. <laughs> Watch out. Here I come. Oh, yeah. We're going to take a little break here, get her opening market report. Maybe I can put some ice on, uh, on Wendy's. I'm just kidding, folks. I'm just kidding. Uh, our AM Minnesota program will continue right after our opening market report, courtesy of your KDHL Agra Booster. <laughs> Soybeans and cattle are mixed in the early going on Friday. Corn's lower, hogs are higher. I'm John Perkins with a Brownfield Market Update. The path to higher yields is now at your fingertips. Download the Stein Seed app today and access valuable in-depth agronomic information, their seed lineups, and more. Soybeans are mixed this morning. Contracts are oversold and due for a bounce, and there is some help from a higher move in soybean oil. 
Export demand slow because of competition from Brazil, but domestic demand is still good. Also, crude oil's up this morning. Maybe ends are four and a half higher at 14.31 and a quarter. That contract is now in delivery, but no deliveries were reported this morning. July beans are two and three quarters lower at 14.01. May meals down 30 cents at 4.27.60. May oil's up 47 at 51.25. Corn's down. Uh, Near-term forecast, you have another round of rain in some areas ahead of a turn to a drier pattern, which would help the planting speed. There's the possibility, though, of improved exports if the Black Sea Grain Initiative falls apart. May corn's three and a quarter lower at 6.23 and three quarters. July's down eight at 5.73 and three quarters. And wheat's mixed, mostly firm. Chicago's now the most competitively priced wheat on the export market, and that could boost export business. Recent rain in the southern plains is probably too late, and the northern plains could see better, better planning weather. May Chicago's back to a quarter lower at 614 and a quarter. Consolidating July uh, cotton, the most active contract is down eight at 8032, but heavily oversold. May rice is up 49 and a half at 1735 and a half. Live and feeder cattle are mostly lower, waiting to see how much direct trade's left to be done. A couple of dollars separating bids and asking prices. Some cleanup is possible. Most active June lives down seven at one sixty-five twelve. August feeders are a dime lower at two thirty-one forty-seven. But with yesterday's higher close in pork, June hogs are up seventy-five at ninety eighty-five. July leans eighty-two higher at ninety-three thirty-two. John Perkins. Brown AM Minnesota on the Mighty 920 KDHL. Again, our KDHL Agri Boosters brought you that opening market report. They include Krennic Stum Grinding, Werner Farm Seed, Dundas, Nate at Insulation Services Incorporated, Three Links Senior Living in Lonsdale and Northfield, the Craig Keller Insurance Agency near Strand, Matt's Roofing out of Wasika, and Northland Buildings. Yep, all of those folks bring you our opening market report. AM Minnesota today, this is, as proclaimed by the Rice County Board of Commissioners, National Crime Victims' Rights Week. Well, it's proclaimed by our president, too, if I remember right. And so we have in studio today folks from the Rice County Attorney's Office. Melissa Evans is the victim witness coordinator. How long did you say you were in the position, Melissa? About a year and a half. Are you enjoying it? I am. Yep. Mm -hmm. It has um, its own unique challenges, um, but there is a lot of um, positive stuff, too. And we've had some great changes come um, this year with um, kind of a new dedication um, and some new much more refined policies that are that are coming in so it's i am very excited to see where we're going to go from here well it sounds like you were talking earlier you went to law school i did yep so you wanted to be a a prosecutor or i did at one point that was my goal um that's what i went to law school for and then i learned since then that i really enjoy this administrative side of it i feel like that's where i'm best served. That's much better to who I am and how I see the world as being able to give back. And going to law school has been really helpful in this position because I understand the terminology that the prosecutors are using, um, but also have that empathy for what our victims are going through. So I I feel like that gives me a better opportunity to meet both of the needs. Sure. Did you always, Wendy, want to be a prosecutor? I did. I grew up watching a show called L.A. Law, which 
certain people know and certain people that are younger do not. <laughs> there was a character there played by Susan Day, and she was a female prosecutor, and I always was very intrigued and attracted to that position. So um, like Melissa, when I went to law school, I knew I wanted to be a prosecutor. But as Melissa noted, television. <laughs> Excuse me. Television is not what, what we do is not what you see on TV, correct. Melissa's right. We don't, our cases are not, are not done in the amount of time that it looks like on TV. We bring more than one little manila folder to court with us. There's no one walking in at the end with the surprise. <laughs> right. but, you know, what is right. it? The, yeah, the, the big awesome. witness yeah. uh, comes out of nowhere. Perry Mason right. moment. Again, right. a reference to people that are that will get if they were born after before 1966. But um, <laughs> yes, very different. And um, it, it does take a much longer time. And I think that can be one of the hardest things for people to understand is that there is not a quick resolution and there's rarely, if ever, that moment where somebody turns and says, I was wrong and I'm sorry, please forgive me. You were a prosecutor during COVID. Yes. And that had to be a, kind of a nightmare. That was very difficult and it was very difficult in the cases in which we had victims. Um, many courts just shut down completely Many times law enforcement just had, um, they weren't engaging or were, did not have the uh, bandwidth to respond to everything. And it was really hard to connect victims with services. Mm -hmm. You know, right. I mean, because so many of our, so many of our community-based resources were feeling the struggle and pivoting or restricted in what they could do during that time. So it was really, it was hard across the board. So how'd you handle your position, Melissa, during COVID? So most of the most of COVID, I was with the court. So, uh, but one thing that I did find really challenging when I came here, and COVID was going, is a the the backlog of cases and the number of times that things were continued is very challenging for. Are you, for are you caught up now? I feel like we're doing pretty good. Um, I, you know. I, more of our cases are settling. I think that's because we have some in-person. I think there is a benefit to being in person and having to look um, at the people and have conversations. So I don't, Wendy could probably better answer if we are caught up, but I feel like we're in a good, in a good I think place. Grace County's in a good place. I think some of the other counties that might be bigger um, may struggle a little bit more with that. I think both Melissa and I could agree that a benefit to COVID and I feel terrible even saying that there was a benefit to COVID. There was. But in retrospect, courts had to come up with a way to hold court on remote platforms. Mm -hmm. And the Zoom platform specifically actually allowed victims to engage more, I think, with the court yeah. appearance because they didn't have to take time out of their day or get transportation to come to a courthouse to see a hearing they could from where they were be able to access that hearing and hear what was going on, hear what a judge said, hear what a defendant said, hear what the prosecutor could say. And I really hope that as a state and for sure as a county, 
we can keep that because access to those hearings, I think, is so important for victims. Yeah, absolutely. I've had um, another benefit with the Zoom is that the victims can log on um, almost um, anonymously, and so they can see what's happening. Uh, court administration uh, for Rice County has been great in working with me when I request Zoom um, availability when the hearing would normally be in person. Um, it's also allowed for a lot of our out-of-state or um, even down in uh, like Albert Lee area where people want to be involved, but that's a big drive. Um, so we've had a lot of um, good Interaction. Interaction with court administration for that. I'm going to read, not the entire proclamation. Okay. Because I probably wouldn't get through it without coughing. Okay. I hear you. It's one of those days, ladies. I understand. But I am going to read the first line here, Melissa, and you'll understand why when I get done reading it. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Rice County Attorney's Office provided crime victim services in excess of 1,400 cases during 2022. Correct, yeah, yeah. That's a lot of cases. Yeah, um, that's our interactions. Um, but we do have uh, currently a, a large caseload still uh, um, on my, that I'm involved in, so these are victim cases. You're the only one in this office, right? As, a, as the crime victims, there's nobody under you. Right. Yep. It's me. Um, I do have a lot of support. I mean, the legal assistants step in a lot if I'm out. Um, the attorneys will handle things if I'm not available. Um, but I'm the only one in my position. Correct. So that would be your caseload, the 1,400? Actually, I, I don't mean to be rude, but no, I think it's fine. 1,400 instances. Oh, that's what it says. And in that case is? No. Nope. What, what's even more impressive about that number is that that's just the amount of time that Melissa has provided services to victims that probably is only incorporating about 300 oh, cases okay there's not oh, but I on each mean. case she has multiple multiple contacts sure, with absolutely. the victims i've often thought that we do things a little well we do do things a little differently here in minnesota in terms of you know of the first hearing mm -hmm. and in other states you enter a plea at the first hearing and that sort of thing, which mm -hmm. I think speeds up the process a little bit. I just wanted to get a quick thought on that from you, if I could, Whitney. That I want the process to be quicker? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, but that kind of goes back to what you were talking about when we talk about TV. TV makes it seem like there might be one or two appearances and all of a sudden there's a trial. And in Minnesota, a defendant has, um, they vindicate every single, as every state should, allows a defendant to vindicate all their constitutional rights. That means there are multiple hearings, especially at the felony level, because those are punishable by prison time, make sure that, that all of those rights are being safeguarded along the way. Victims don't have constitutional rights that need to be protected during the criminal process. They have rights under our laws, statutory rights, but what can be very frustrating for a victim is, I want this to go fast. I know this person did this. Why won't they just admit? Why won't the court just make them do something? Why can't the prosecutor make them do something? So there's that tension at the very beginning of a case of trying to managing expectations. Um, but yes, it can be a very long process, 
And um, when I get frustrated with it, or if I have, we have a victim that we're working on, one of the things that I go to is, and as I told you beforehand, I have four kids, multiple other relations, multiple family members, friends. If one of my family members, one of my friends was accused of a crime, I'd wanna make darn sure that they were able to have all of their rights protected. So when I get frustrated, I always just try and flip that script a little bit to remember that everybody has family members, everybody has friends, and you would want your family member or friend to have those same rights. Right. Melissa, what are some of the things that you offer in terms of services? Um, so starting right away with the case, I do a notification. Um, a lot of times that's calling the victim and saying, um, we have a bail hearing or here's the charges, we're gonna go forward with this and then explaining what I'm gonna be sending out to them um, and what that paperwork kind of looks like. And then I try to give an explanation or maybe a reasonable expectation of what's gonna happen. So um, we're gonna have this hearing, at the next hearing, this is what's gonna happen. So they don't um, get as frustrated when we're four months down the road and we're just at a plea hearing. Um, so I do the notifications and then I'm available for questions. They have, um, I have a cell phone, email, my office phone. that I try to be accessible. Um, and then throughout the process, I update where, where we're at, what's happening next. I'll um, get feedback on plea offers, uh, kind of ask what, what are you hoping for? and then explain what these plea offers um, entail. I go to court, and so I'm there as a face. I can relay information back and forth, um, and um, I help with victim impact statements, applications for restitution or reparations, and then finally um, update on the outcome of the case. Wendy, do you, do you like the term plea bargain? I think that, yes, I like the term. I think it is sometimes misunderstood. <clears throat> Very rarely do you have somebody who's charged with an offense or four offenses or five offenses, and they're gonna come in and say, oh, I did all five of them. You know, I accept accountability or yes, or I made one. Yeah, and the reality is, is the system isn't set up for every single person to go to a trial on every single case. Yeah, imagine if that happened. Right. So as a prosecutor, what we try and do is we take the information that Melissa has provided to us from victims, which by the way, victims don't have to engage with Melissa. It's really helpful to the process when they do, but some victims will just tell all of us to go pound sand and that's fine. <laughs> but so if you can take what a victim is telling you they want to see done. Um, and sometimes we can't accommodate that request or sometimes we don't agree with that request. But then what we try to do is get the case resolved in a way that we get the societal aims that we want accomplished. We are treating each defendant individually and we take into account what a victim wants to see. And hopefully if we can resolve that case, and have it come out of the court system and it's not in there anymore, then that helps everybody. Unfortunately, that's called a plea bargain. We make a plea offer and some people feel that 
that has a really negative connotation. And that when we do that, it's somehow really only benefiting a defendant. And that's not the case. I mean, very often it isn't benefiting a defendant or very often the plea offer is you still plead to the highest count, but the lesser counts we will agree to dismiss. So um, I can understand where people feel like it's, oh, they got a plea offer and, or they had a plea negotiation or plea agreement. That sounds really bad. But um, really, it's a mechanism that we all have to use to make the court system work better. Can reparations be part of a plea deal? Reparations can be part of a plea deal. Go ahead. Uh, so reparations are through the state. Um, and so that's a, com a different um, application process. It's a different board that looks over it. It's not available for property losses, uh, which can be very frustrating. Restitution is often part mm -hmm. of the plea offer. Like they'll, even if we're maybe dismissing that count, they'll still be ordered to pay restitution. Um, and that can include all, well, all is a, mm -hmm. is a big term, but <laughs> most of the losses that come from, from criminal activity. Victims can get reparations from the Minnesota Reparations Board. And where Melissa and I were just, there's a, um, when that happens, then as part of the sentence, the defendant can be ordered to pay back the reparations board. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. where it's not necessarily a part of the plea, but the mechanism um, to make either the reparations board whole or a victim whole financially can be part of the plea. Again, our guests today are Melissa Evans. She's Victim Witness Coordinator of the Rice County Attorney's Office and Wendy Murphy, who is the Chief Assistant Attorney, uh, Chief Assistant County Attorney here for Rice County. How many attorneys are in the office? Man, we just did this the other day and I keep forgetting. I think I, we have I 12. Always, okay, I always want to say 11. <laughs> okay, I'm pretty sure we have 12. A dozen. Yes. That's grown quite a bit over there. It has. It has. In fact, I was just talking to one of the other assistant county attorneys saying how much um, how much more work, exponentially more work we do at the Rice County Attorney's Office since I was here previously. And I just think that that's because Rice County is getting more popular. People are moving farther out. Uh, governmental entities are dealing with a lot more than what they typically did. I think with social media and podcasts and radios and where people are getting their information has uh, increased people's interest in their county government and their city government so much more. So I just feel like we're, we are continuing to grow more and more. You doing anything special this week? out of the ordinary, Melissa, in observance of Crime Victims' Rights Week? Um, not, not specifically um, he, being here. Is, well, that's is kind of special. I, I Very think, special. Other yes. than, the, you know, I'm having a coughing fit here. But. No, yeah. Um, no, uh, like I said earlier, there's been kind of a, a new revivance, maybe, to victim rights. And um, so I'm excited to see what we what we can do with it next year. It's been, um, it's, it's unfortunate that it's so short in time. It's only right. a week. Um, we are, as it just kind of coincidentally, we're going through and we're updating all of our, our, um, our directives and our policies and our purposes for our crime victim services program. So that's been kind of helpful that it, fall, it fell on this week, which is really about rejuvenating 
everybody's interest in crime victims, uh, their rights and the impact of crime. And then uh, we have our proclamation, which you noted as well. Um, and I think it's just been able to be something within the county and even within our office that we're talking about and reminding people about because as you know, in whatever profession you're in, you can sometimes get really tunnel vision. And it's nice to be able to say, hey, let's look back at this at a 30,000 foot view. And um, are we doing everything that we can? And are there things that we haven't thought about? And are there ways of engagement? And are there ways to take care of our, each other and ourselves? Mm -hmm. yep. I'm gonna knock on the real wood here. Here in the KDHL studios, hope I'm never a crime victim. But if I am, I do have a voice, is what you're basically telling me. That's the bottom line here, right? I have a voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep, you have a right to be heard um, in the beginning. I mean, as Wendy said, there's not a whole lot of protected constitutional rights for victims, but that our office does take that really seriously, um, victims' input. So right away, I'll document where you're, or how you're feeling. Um, something um, that is very common in our office is a domestic abuse no contact order, a DINKO. Uh, so I'll get your feedback on that if that's the kind of case. Um, you have a right to be present and heard at plea hearings and sentencing hearings, victim impact statements. Um, at, the, at the sentencing, you can tell the court what you want to have happen. Um, and then along the way, our office does um, mention the victim's wishes like at a Danko, about a Danko or plea hearings, mm -hmm. our office will say the victim agrees, doesn't agree. We really want to make sure that the court... The I, I'm running out of time here, sorry. Not a problem. Thank you so much for having Dag us be here today. Nah, but uh, some days the show's not long enough. And today's one of them. 